2: Hey there, everybody! Welcome to episode 61 of the Modern Disco Podcast. My name is Tim Mitrot. I'm in Toronto, Ontario, and I was joined by Aaron Bay in Whitby, Ontario, as well as Jaime Lopez in Seattle, and Mark Rubin in San Jose, California. Unfortunately, last week we had a couple of snafus with our recording process. Um, In fact, we lost all of Aaron's um, dialogue in both his own recording and as well in our backup recording, which records all four of us speaking. So as a result, we've got a sort of short uh, version of the show this week and uh, we'll be Basically stitching together uh, bits of dialogue and trying to patch together the show. For the most part, we did have a set of good conversations and we'll follow up in next week's episode, episode 62, uh, with some continuation of the bits that we lost. Hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks. During the pre-show, we were talking about Jaime's pick, Colors. Uh, Mark was playing around with it. He hadn't started recording yet, so we don't have Mark here in this part. But uh, we were talking about that. Uh, we were talking about the game, and I brought up another game, and we got into a discussion about game development in general, and hope you enjoy it. And there was a bit of Aaron in this one, but that's about all. Thanks. Yeah, I don't remember
0: the rules between 3s, 1024, and 2048. It, it probably is a, a 10 clone, since that was the much more um, notorious, famous version.
2: Oh, you're talking about this, this Colors game? Yeah. Have you guys seen ten ten? And what, it's like Tetris, but instead of the pieces falling down on you, you take you drag the pieces onto the checker, onto a ten by ten, I assume, uh, grid. And then when you make a complete row, they disappear, and you get points and win prizes and stuff. Right? So mm. it looked. It looked. Apparently, it's, it's fairly addictive. And I noticed there's already a whole whack of ten ten clones on the on the App Store. So looks like it's available on the app store as well as google play it's the first result again 10... when
0: i search for 1010
2: yeah but when you look, but if you should probably find quite a few um names with like 1010 exclamation point and i think it's sort of the that cloning war thing that happened you know invariably oh look at that even uh, windows phone
0: or windows mobile That a little unclear
2: yeah so it's sort of a it's, it's basically the pieces from tetris but in a new new style or it's a whole new game it actually, so it actually would be because you, you wouldn't have the pressure. I mean, unless it was a
0: clock or something, <laughs> you wouldn't have the pressure of the continuous. Okay, pieces are coming
2: down. Next yeah. piece is about to come down. They're coming down yeah. faster
0: and faster and faster.
2: Yeah, but I don't. I don't know. I didn't see really. I just saw people dragging things up onto the screen. I wasn't sure if you could tap them to rotate them or whatever. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm, I've been trying to build a little game, a sort of grid game like that. You know, to sort of capture some of the viral buzz that they seem to get shameless clones man that's the way to make the monies yeah or just under
1: in the morning you know like that's the worst part
2: well, no, I mean, I mean, just from the point of view, of, I, I want to make games like that just from the point of view of making fun games. I mean, not I'm not thinking about world domination or, you know, whatever. I just, like I said, just for the enjoyment of building a game that people would like to play, right?
1: Yeah, but would, are you talking about building a game that's a clone of someone
2: else's? Well, no, I mean, if I see some ideas that, that uh, another app has, has built, and I want, oh, I want to figure out how they did that kind of thing and see, like Mark was just sort of saying when he was looking at this Colors app, right? Yeah. Uh, to see... Uh, what what the gist is right and and um yeah i mean it's for me it's a programming challenge because you know i couldn't couldn't make a link list out of to get myself out of a wet paper bag you know
1: or construct a b tree and reverse traverse it reverse traverse i just made that (laughs) awesome ah sick burn okay uh but don't do that man i mean you can make it but don't don't ship it like it's some kind of original thing
2: no i mean you know just for the for the sake of the fun, no, I mean, and that's what i mean. I wouldn't, make, I wouldn't make it uh, an exact clone of another app. I mean, just from the mechanics point of view, like I also like the idea of, of uh, I've got a couple of ideas for some games where you know, uh, like the, the left to right kind of slidey, you know, physics involved, f- whipping off ramps, you know, sort of tiny wings or, or um, what was that uh, one with the llamas? The llamas. Uh, oh,
1: oh Altos Adventure.
2: Yeah, those kind of you know fun games where you go like side scrollers, like you know. And those go back to like, you know, Mario and, and Sonic the Hedgehog and that kind of stuff too, right? So totally have to hear Drive talking. But yeah, if but, I make know. a game, that's a crazy idea. Well I know, i r I've already done a couple of them already.
1: Well ask let's ask Jaime Lopez, man yeah. of leisure, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, who who is something of an aficionado of games <clears> and who <throat> has all this time on his hands. Jaime Lopez, do you see yourself putting a game on the app store in the year two thousand fifteen?
0: You know, I, I keep having these fantasies of doing so because it would be really fun to do that, right? It was, you know, nigh impossible to do that in the console days, right? You'd have to have this ten thousand dollar dev yeah, kit and be true. approved by Nintendo or Sony or Microsoft. And now yeah. you, you could just put one out there. I mean, I could see myself doing it as a, a fun project. Um, as a money maker, it's it's too much of a hits driven business to to you know bankroll that. Assuming that you were trying to make money from it. Good. Mm-hmm. But I have been thinking, yeah, but I have been thinking recently that um, maybe it's time to go back and play those old, uh, you know, Nintendo might be a little too advanced. I think playing the old Atari games and thinking about how can you repurpose those relatively simple but fun games into the mobile space where you have a relatively simple input and becomes less of a clone and more of an homage like Crossy Road. It's essentially Frogger, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's a really yeah. well done homage to Frogger.
1: That's right.
2: Well, see, and, and coming coming to, from the, the place that I come from, which is fine arts. I mean, you know, um, art. The whole history of art is people building on other people's ideas and taking things one step further. Or, or so you know, somebody comes up with the original idea, admittedly, but then some other people come along and, and sort of play with that style or, or and develop it beyond beyond something else. And so there's a whole tradition of being prolific in, as as artists, you know, when you're doing painting or sculpting and that kind of stuff. And I sort of see building apps the same way. Like, you know, somebody comes up with a cool concept for an app. Why not, you know, take it and, and extend it beyond what it was, right? As opposed to just cloning it. I mean, like, yeah, otherwise you're just making black velvet paintings, right? Just for the sake of selling them on the side of the road. Exactly. Elvis paintings, <laughs> tiger yeah. paintings. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and the sad part is some people think that's that's actually art, you know. And in a way it is, unfortunately.
1: <laughs> but yeah. only in a way, not not. Meaning. In a
2: hipsterish, ironic <laughs> kind of way, right? Yeah, exactly. It's sort of a, yeah.
1: So you think not, Jaime. You know, that uh, going into the games market as a developer, um, even if you, like, do uh, have an idea, you know, to mine some past game and to brush it off, you know, polish it up and make it something uh, modern-looking, mm-hmm. um, you know, even with that, You know, like uh, knowing that you're going up against hundreds of thousands of other games on the store. Um, Like, you know, think of a thought experiment, right? Like uh, if you had, um, say, Frogger and you came up with an idea to re-envision Frogger and you came up with what we know today as um, Crossy Bird and you were somehow able to turn back time and then ship it again. Do you think that it would have the same success, you know, given all the same factors? Uh, Or is it just total luck? that it got noticed and adopted so widely. Like is there something intrinsic to that game that would make it successful or is it just the right people at the right time saw
0: it? Yeah, that's that's a good one. I mean, certainly there's been tons of really well well-done and polished games that have come out and have not seen success. And heck for all I know, if if Crossy Road came out a month earlier or a month later, and we may not be even talking about it today. It could have been lost in the news.
1: Exactly. You know, so what what's to What's to prevent
0: that from, I think games are a, a difficult one because they they do require a lot of um, investment uh, given the kind of return you might expect from them. I mean, you, you're gonna have to put you know, six months into a game to make it really solid and polished, uh, mm-hmm. as opposed to maybe some sort of utility app that you could throw together in a month. There's mm-hmm. you know six times to- at least six times as much risk, and that's just on a you know you made something that is just as bug-free as the utility app like well okay but but is it fun are people enjoying it you know that fun is is an extra factor that utility doesn't have to deal with um as well as like yeah or and even just does it look good it's like wow this is actually a pretty fun game too bad the graphics are ugly and crappy that's rather or the sound is terrible or or the controls are slightly off there's a lot of extra aspects that go into games that i think that uh, a lot of apps don't have a, a lot of subjectivity
2: right yeah i think people people i think people i mean i mean i think people make them because i they think there there's an outside chance that they could make money but i think they make them because they're passionate about getting their idea out and and, uh, and having fun making games people have been making games for for eons right even before the app store came along at this point in time aaron asked the group if we were familiar with panic software and their approach to building a product where they take the time to produce it and make sure that it, by the time it ships, it's fully featured. Um, he asked, um, what do we think of that type of approach to building software? On the one hand, he said it takes uh, a lot of risk to uh, build software with that t- amount of effort. And on the other hand, it stands to do really well because it's a really, really good software. And it stands a chance to stand head and shoulders above the rest of the apps on the app community. Um, so he asked us, "What do we think of uh, building that, building software in that way? Is that a viable strategy?" Well, personally, I would—I always use the eighty-twenty rule anyway, so I, I would probably get it out a lot sooner than they would. Um, partially, just so also to see if it has any stickiness to it, and see if if anybody's going to actually be interested in. it. But I would also argue to your earlier point about the fact that games are harder to make than production apps. I think that any app you make is is going to be hard to get out there. And have it noticed and get noticed and and be really picked up i really I really doubt that you could just build an app um i mean, we've all argued about the fact you have to market apps and stuff like that, but I think that any app you build on the on the app store today is is going it just has a snowflakes chance in a blizzard to be noticed you know whether whether it's a productivity app or a music app or a podcast app or or what have you right so
0: I think it's probably um it's definitely viable. I mean, certainly, Panic is is evidence of that. And there's probably a f- handful of other companies that do a lot of great things with their software uh, in a very similar circumstance. I think Omni's yeah. probably a pretty good example. Yeah, yeah. I I think it I think it has less applicability for a you know is this the kind of model you could do broadly right with how like, how many developers would this apply to sort of thing because I think it is fairly risky right? Certainly since they take more time, um, they probably have, and I'm, I'm not privy to their development processes, but presumably they've got enough time to do, you know, user research to figure out like, what is this market really? Uh, okay. We figured out the problems in the market. Can we iterate several times, you know, many, many, many times with, you know, potential users to understand how does this work? What's, what could we be, make, what could we do to make it better? I should say that that's, that's kind of difficult to, do especially at any sort of scale where you could support a company right and then certainly panic and, and omni have, have done so i think if you're doing it in a uh small company sort of case it, it certainly seems like a viable thing uh, but it seems like it has kind of the the trade-offs in parameters right like omni and panic are never going to be facebook and twitter like they just full-on never will be like it mm-hmm. doesn't scale and and they they will never make that amount of money but they seem to be reasonably profitable. I've I've not heard of any like, yeah. I mean, it's it's a good company. It's not going to be shocking the the VCs like, oh my god, like look, this is a billion dollar company. It's like no, this is a company that brings in probably tens of millions. I would guess to support the number of people that they do, mm-hmm. um, and it it can't be any smaller than what they are, much smaller than what they are now. Uh, you know, they couldn't reduce back down to a, a one to two three-person shop because I don't think they'd have the resources to do all the quality aspects and be able to Mm -hmm. do the research wouldn't be able to do a lot of what it is they do that makes their product special
2: yeah well Omni's in Seattle right yes do you run into those guys on a regular basis or
0: um I'm I'm sure I do I mean so the the most notable one that I can think of off the top of my head is Brent Simmons who recently joined Omni um Mm -hmm. it's not as if I know him personally but you know he, he goes to the meetup group stuff
2: yeah, I just wonder because we have a similar couple. Of, we have a. I mean, they were very successful on the Mac side before iOS came along as well, though, right? I mean, because they had the OmniGraffle and the OmniFocus and a few other apps that were making a having an impact on on the uh, the app world before you know before two thousand seven, let's say, right? Um, I mean, I had their products, and I know many people who used them, right? So. Mm-hmm. And we have a company here in Toronto, very similar uh, in Flixel, right? Who got some success. They do Cinemagraph Pro, and they're, a, I think, a relatively small group, like maybe three or four guys and a couple of contractors, that kind of stuff, right? So I think that's is that sort of the size that Omni is in in Seattle? Do you know? So similar to I think I think FreshBooks here in in Toronto as well is that size, if I'm not mistaken, right? So
3: yeah, I think it's it's uh, there's no single answer to this question actually, and actually don't think it's a technical slash developer question at all. I think it's a marketing question, 100%. Uh, If you really know your market well, and you know that there's a there there, and you know that in this particular market, having a better version of this thing than anything else that's out there will get people to buy it, then yes, this this is a completely viable strategy. However, if it's a if it's a market where that's not so important, if it's a game, you know, where, you know, a, a game like, you know, like Flappy Birds, right, or, or something like that, nobody cared that it wasn't a perfect app. Right. And if, they, and if that guy had spent a lot of time making it a perfect app, he probably wouldn't have sold any, right? Exactly, yep. So so I, I don't think it's a question for developers, to be completely honest. I mean, except developers who wear, you know, marketing hats as well. I, I think it's a market-driven question
2: yeah and the Birds is an outlier too I think in sure. terms of in terms of how successful it was i mean you have i mean and I remember going to conferences back in two thousand ten two thousand eleven, and you know there was like you know maybe a hundred people in the room sort of thing, and we were all sort of yo ho ho and we're building we're building apps well, you know we had Mike Lee standing up there in a pirate buccaneer outfit right so um, you know, and people like Daniel Jalkit were there, and Ray Winderlake was there, and uh, Rod Sturgo, and, and uh, William Van Heck, who I met him at, uh, shared a cap with him in, in Seattle, or somewhere. Yeah, Seattle, I guess it was. No, Philadelphia, actually. Um, <clears throat> you know, and it was it was, it was sort of a, there was an indie spirit sort of thing going there when I first got into this stuff. And then we kind of saw, you know, uh, somebody from, from uh, was it Tap Tap? The people who did the Tap Tap Generation game, I forget what it's called, but they just, they Cat had us. recently just tapulous okay. they had just been bought by uh, by disney right and that was sort of the first sort of thing that you know maybe the the big boys are starting to notice that you know we're we're us, you know, we're building apps right and once they've done as you know now they've come in and they've taken over and then there's the vc funding monday you know with their famous word disruption and all that kind of stuff um now it's like there's no you haven't got a chance in hell of, of of breaking out unless you come up with some like you said, Aaron. You have to hit all the marks at the right spot. You know, you have to get the bases loaded and you have to get that one guy to come in and hit that home run. And you never you never know when it's going to come, right? So, but I mean, but that it's it's a good it's a good analogy to use because you know it's it's it is a game of chance. I mean, you know, you can you can put the the best players and have the best plan and all that kind of stuff together and still not not capitalized at that right moment of time right so
3: but I but I think it's it's really a game of chance only if you if you approach it as a game of chance
2: yeah
3: yeah uh, if if you don't yeah if you if you find again I know I'm you know being a dead horse in this but if you find a market that needs servicing and yeah. you service it well you will do well I and mean, of course that's easier said than done but but it's 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 sort of not a mystery there I mean if, if you make a game because you think it's fun Without asking anyone, and spend six months doing it, and you love playing it, but nobody else li- likes the game, then yeah, that's the game of chance aspect. But yeah. but if mm-hmm. you're doing your research, if you know what people like, if you know what people want to play, and you build something that uh, that uh, appeals to that, then chances are you'll you'll do pretty well because it's it's not just the you know the candle in the wind kind of approach there. Mm-hmm. If you have something that people are interested in you only have to tell a few people because they'll tell other people and it'll it'll kind of avalanche from there. Um, I've experienced that. So I actually have a few games on the App Store and this was they're all a few years back, but uh, one in particular that did well was was a a poker-oriented app
2: Mm -hmm.
3: that... And and I can't say that I followed any of the advice that I just gave in doing this because it was early days. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, But I put up this app and... It, and it was, I mean, in all honesty, it was the best one of that, of that genre out there at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was picked up by people in the professional poker community. And they were playing at, you know, in Vegas in between you know, poker tournaments and things like that. Huh. And there were actually even, at one time, they're all gone now, but there were YouTube videos of pro poker players that you'd recognize if, if you follow the game. Uh, in their hotel rooms, you know, playing, playing the app and holding up to the screen and look at the sand wow. I just got. Yeah. And, and this, I mean, I, of course, in, in this particular case, it was luck. But, if I had, you know, studied the market, I, I might have been able to figure that out beforehand that, you know, yeah, there was, yeah. there was a need for this, there was a want for this. And, the people who needed it and wanted it have money to spend and are willing to spend money. Poker players have yeah. money to spend, they're you know, they're willing to spend it. So, in this case, it was sort of luck, but but it sort of it taught me something that yeah you know there's a market there, and uh, you just got to find more like that. Not the easiest thing yeah. to do, but but uh, yeah, if you can, then you're going to do well. It's it's not about well I won't say it's not about building the quality up, because of course it is, but that's maybe a third of it, and the other two thirds is getting the word out and getting the the, the influencers out there in this in the space. Yeah talking about it and using it and then yeah. you can get somewhere so it uh, in my experience whenever I tried to invent something brand new kind of a new game a new concept from nowhere it pretty much always failed but when mm-hmm. I base th- when I base things on existing known not necessarily other apps you know I didn't copy other apps but I would the, the poker what I was talking about earlier that's an existing card game that people played with real cards yeah. so yeah. I put it on the iPad and it was a natural fit at the time, uh, because there were people who were already playing that game, and the idea of playing on the iPad was an amazing thing. You don't have to have a deck of cards, you don't have to deal the cards, you don't have to shuffle them and all that right. kind of stuff, you just open up the your iPad. And you can play it over Bluetooth at the time, and later Wi-Fi. So, so uh, no, I, I, well, I, I agree with you on, on, on the idea that, yeah, if you just kind of invent something and drop it in the store, you're pretty much bound to fail. Oh, it's never going to happen unless you get incredibly lucky. Uh, but if you find something out there that, you know, there's already people looking for that thing, then you've you've got a, a, a much better chance.
0: So they 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 also tapped into a design style, tiny right?
2: Wings, yeah,
0: yeah, right. So they Alta's adventure has a style reminiscent of Monument Valley.
2: Yeah, and it had the Tiny Wings physics where you're going up and down hills and shooting into the sky and. And, and, they, and every every level, they kind of make, they increased in difficulty. Well, actually, the levels didn't really change, but the, the goals or the number of trick jumps you had to land or the distance you had to travel um, created more goals for you. And, uh,
3: if but you're going like, was... to do something that's not on quantity, it better be so good that everyone who looks at it says, wow, this is amazing. I need to tell people yeah. about this.
2: Yeah. yeah, well, so, what well, so I was saying, as soon as I saw 10.10, 10, I kind of, like, thought, you know, I, you know, I kind of looked at it and went, okay, that's, I could see right away it was sort of a Tetris-y game, and it was one of those, you know, uh, match things three in a row or whatever, or complete a row, very, you know, similar to Brickles or all those kind of other games, just sort of a new approach on that, and the fact that I looked at one guy playing it on on his iPhone and another person completely different playing it on an Android device, I thought, okay, well, i have to figure out what that game is, right? Um, and, you know, it didn't take me very long to find out what it was called and, and then find that there's, like, hundreds of them already out there, right? So, but, and it's just, there's nothing to it, really. It's, it has a look that's kind of pleasing, but, you know, it's very flat, you know, similar to the material design or the F- iOS 7 flatness that we are all dealing with these days, right? El Capitan, you know. But what I was going to say earlier was, was you know, back when Mark was talking about having some success with Pocertini, was back in, you know. Not, not that that one oh. didn't
3: do too well. it was Chinese 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 second kind of broker that did
2: it. Chinese, but yeah. yeah, yeah. The uh, what I was going to say is, and, and that was around the time when I kind of met Mark, and and I don't think any of us knew what this app market was going to be. We didn't understand True. sort of all the mechanisms. You know, even the ad the ad guys who were putting ads into apps didn't understand what was really going on. And um, it's the landscape's changed quite a bit, right? But coming back to you know any sort of venture you do as as a small business person, which is at the end of the day, is what we all are. Either we're going to go work for someone else, or we're going to contract, or we're going to go into you know sell it all and just open a, and open up an app business you know you need to decide going in how big you really want to be, I and mean, that 's that's sort of where you have to set your goals you 're not going to be you know angry birds or flappy birds or or uh, alto 's adventure big and, and i 'm sure when the guys were building alto 's adventure i don 't think that i i don 't really know for sure, but I don't know that they necessarily thought they were going to be as popular as they were. And God knows how they feel today. Like, you know, like take, for instance, Twitter. Didn't Twitter just lay off a bunch of people in the last couple of days, you know? I mean, they started out as a small little idea, you know, a couple of 140 characters or whatever, just a little social micro blogging, you know. Um, And the problem is it, it hasn't taken off in the mass market. It's taken off in the developer community and people who, you know, want to have sort of water cooler conversations. But, you know, your mom knows what Facebook is. You know, she doesn't probably. She probably doesn't know what f- Twitter is, right? You know, if she wants to check out what's going on with the J's. She probably goes to Facebook. But anyway, my my point is that that you know, um, you know, if you're Twitter, you want to be a big giant company, you know, like, uh, and that's why you bring that guy in from Square to run your company, right? So, as you can imagine at this point, Aaron pointed out that Jack Dorsey actually started Twitter and wasn't actually new to the company. Did he? Well, I, uh, what do I know? So the so uh, <laughs> I'm as old as your mom. Um, the uh, I don't think we I don't really think you can you can build an app with the idea that you're going to get I want to call it Justin Bieber or Taylor Swift kind of money. You know, you really have to sort of think okay, like like an Omni Group. I you know you want to grow to like maybe ten or fifteen people if you're if you're lucky and 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 have the problems that they have. You don't want to have the problems that you know people who are going to file IPOs are going to have, right? At this point in time, we switched the conversation over to Marco Armit making uh, Overcast two uh, free with all features unlocked. I was gonna I was gonna bring that up and I and um, at some point today and, and the first point was uh, that I was gonna bring up was that that you know to ask you guys what you thought about his uh, blog post about making um, Overcast free and he was the one where I where I borrowed the code about. Um, uh, v c money making uh, making things putting uh, and Jaime sort of said it last week too that that uh v c money put a lot puts lots in and wants to drive the price down to make it you know you know trying competition away uh, and yet here we have Har- marco armand is just now has now made all the features in overcast free and now he's he's trying to start this patron where so he says um but we'd all like to have the problems that Marco has, and we're not going to. And and there was a, a counter... Uh, it was a, initially a review by Samantha Bellfield, I want to say. Um, she had done a review of Overcast, and then she got a whole bunch of response back from from the Twitterverse, uh, people direct messaging her and sending her tweets, and then she went back and reevaluated it and, and did a post called The Elephant in the Room. Did you guys have a chance to look at that today? Aaron began by telling us that... Um, Speaking about the fact that Marco had made Overcast free to all users and decided to rely on patronage instead for income, Um, he said in his blog post that uh, he was trying to get the best features into everyone's hands, that basically he had found that only 20% of the users had actually uh, paid to update. So he felt that, uh, you know, well, and Aaron said this is a noble gesture that uh, he wanted to uh, basically make sure that everybody had the best experience they could get. Aaron felt that Marco was being disingenuous in his, in his uh, explanation. If he needed the income like the rest of us do, he would never do this. Um, no other company can afford to have take a product as successful as this uh, and make it free. Uh, Aaron also said that Marco says he's doing this to protect podcasting in general. And again, he felt that that was disingenuous. At the end of the day, he's a great developer. Has, Aaron has a lot of respect for him. But if you, as a developer, are trying to emulate anything that Marco does, uh, Aaron suggests that you do not follow his business practices. Yeah. And, 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 and admittedly, he's, he's now undercut his competition. Like right out of, like, and, and if you want to, if, if Aaron, by your argument earlier in the podcast, if you were, if, if Aaron had an idea to build a podcast app, why would you now? Where's, where's the revenue? Where's the return on investment for you? Yeah, exactly, and, and I mean that—that's part of part of the thing is he's one of the one of the celebrities of of our business, right? Um, and so naturally, he's gonna he's gonna attract. Uh, some, well, that's, I don't want to call it. Well, I guess it is easy money. He's gonna get. So he's gonna attract patronage. You know, I just I didn't didn't realize that that link was in there, and I had a look, and there's like at least four hundred people sponsoring him today. You know, sort of thing. And I know of other. Like individuals who are famous in certain areas that are on Patreon, Patreon.com, for instance, and are are, are getting in, getting paid, you know, reasonable amount of money to keep their keep their, themselves going because their followers believe that they're they're worthy of of their adoration in terms of cash, right? Um, what do you what do you other two guys think about this um, tactic, if you want to call it, uh, of of basically making your app free and and uh, being being the number one app and then making it free. Last week or two weeks ago it was the number number two app and he basically pulled it from the store. This week he's made it free, so he's kind of made it difficult for anybody else to enter the market. So I think it's um, it's kind of interesting. So he has three main bullet points that, that really stick out to
0: me. So two are are very factual and And I think I totally agree with, right? He says, you know, nobody is entitled to keep their market share, right? And it needs to be a constant battle to continue to have market share. Mm -hmm. All that makes sense. Totally agree. And we've talked about that before. The fact that his previous headline features are, you know, being implemented by more competitors. So he doesn't necessarily have the differentiator that um, many of the features of Overcast had over its competition. I think the one that that's really sticking in people's minds, uh, given the context, and I don't know if it's, I haven't decided if it's a, a disingenuous thing, because I, I think that given, and I'm an outsider, I don't know Markle personally, but as somebody who listens to a lot of the podcasts that he's on, and it has read a lot of his content, I think he might legitimately believe this is the case. I think he's incorrect in his belief, but I think he legit, I think he truly believes this false statement about the world here and that's i'm not doing anything that other developers can't do right technically true right like a lawyer would look parse that and be like yes this is technically true there is nothing that legally prevents
2: you from doing this sort of thing as long as they don't have to buy groceries pay rent or lease cars or you know
0: that's the other thing Support a family that's the other thing and i think that's where samantha i'm gonna try my own bielfeld i'm not sure (laughs) that's pronounced um you know as one developer put it to me it seems a bit tone-deaf for him to even be trying to relate himself to other individuals trying to create a revenue stream on the App Store. And that's true. It comes across as a Marie Antoinette, let them eat cake kind of statement, (laughs) right? That you're so removed that you're not realizing, yes, other people could do this, but um, guess what? Like, if you make zero money on the App Store from everything that you're doing right now, um, your family will continue to live for, I would speculate, several years at the least, right? Mm -hmm. Like, he, he... He's in a position where he's able to talk about on the podcast, like, "Hey, I'm kind of uncomfortable with my current luxury car because it no longer suits my needs. I think I want a different luxury car." <laughs>
2: right? <laughs> is, it, is that what he talks about on the ATP? Yeah, in one of the after-show oh, things, like, okay. "This is, yeah, I have a 17-year-old CRV that's rusting away out here." Right, and and I think I
0: would also liken it to uh, coming back to sports ball because it's the season. Alex Rodriguez, hugely controversial baseball player, but I'm taking us back in time to the early 2000s when the seattle mariners were a very good team and alex rodriguez was a up-and-coming very good player mm-hmm. and he decided to leave the seattle mariners for the texas rangers who unlike this year at that time were a very terrible team mm-hmm. and he got a huge paycheck i mean he got like 200 million dollars something like that as a, as a yeah. contract uh, the exact money doesn't matter it's an enormous amount of money and i think what what's stuck in people's minds is when they asked him like why did you do this is is it just for the money i think what's stuck in people's minds is that, no no i came here to win and like no that's not true they're a demonstrably terrible team <laughs> you came here for the money and i think if he was more you know genuine about it he could have changed the whole you know perspective of folks by just being honest me like look you know baseball players have a very short shelf life if sure. i have an opportunity here to do something that will benefit my family for generations to come. Sure. That's what I've decided to do. Yes, I want to win here. You know, it may not happen. Um, but this is an amount of money that I could not turn down. Right. Right. Because I, I think people were looking at like, look, come on, dude, like if you really wanted to win, you would join a perennial contender like the Boston Red Sox, the New York Yankees, you know, maybe the LA Dodgers, right? Um other other teams, right? It, it, there are certainly teams that, that have had people take pay cuts to join them. No,
1: really.
0: Apple, okay. L- switching sports ball uh, series again, the New England Patriots, perennial contender in the NFL, have mm-hmm. had top-notch players take pay cuts to join them because people believe that they could win a championship there. I don't think people can understand that, right? Like, you want to win, you earn less money, but you're going for the glory. And I think yeah. people could also understand, look, i, I got to take mine where I can get mine. Yeah. And I think if Marco's post had come out and really just laid out they look, i I got to take whatever... You know, money I can get. I think it would come across as more genuine than the, oh, like I'm just a scrappy underdog like everybody else, and I'm helping to protect against this, you know, a boogeyman of like Facebookization, blah blah blah. It, it comes across as as not truthful, uh, even though he he might very well believe that that's the case, but he's he's wrong. There's no other way to put it, right? He is he's not the average developer. And what he is doing is great for him and I think is actually a, a pretty nice model of, of taking you know, every single advantage that you can that you have available to you. Yeah. And, and certainly we shouldn't fault him for it. Yeah. It's just that other last part of like, dude, like just fess up to it or at least or have yeah. the, the self introspection to say, you know what? I have a lot of privilege here that I've worked very hard for and have also
2: been a little bit lucky to get and I should be humble about it. Yeah, I know a teenage de- developer who put out an app and and we were he was discussing with us whether or not he should, you know, put a tip jar in his app. because he didn't he didn't feel that, you know, he was he had put in enough time to sort of really charge for his app. I mean, not I don't mean time in terms of the app quality, I mean time in terms of himself as a developer. Um, you know, he did he felt he he felt a little odd about charging for it and he, he said, "Well, what what if I put a tip jar in?" And that's essentially what in a sense, I guess Mark was trying to say that he's doing here, but he's not a guy on the street with a Tim Hortons cup, you know, um, asking for, for, help, for handouts, right? Which So it, it strikes me as odd. I, I'm kind of curious to see if Mark even has an opinion on this.
1: <laughs>
3: well, my opinion is that, uh, it's, you know, business is business. He's entitled to do whatever he wants. And yeah. if you don't like his opinions, take all the time that you spend reading his blogs and listening to his podcasts and don't do that and add, mm-hmm. use that time to add some new killer feature to your app. And maybe your app will do better.
0: Right. Right.
3: Hey, but there's, there's
0: a lesson to be learned there. So he is making really good use of social proof there. So that's, that's something that, that folks have talked about. Um, certainly not just us, right? That's why a lot of sites will have the, you know, 325 people liked this article or 500 people tweeted this article. Like, mm. it's actually a pretty smart design decision to do that. Yeah. But it looks kind of odd when we put like one person bought our app this week. So that's the thing. Like <laughs> you have to be careful. You have to be fairly sure that it will like not look sad. And, and that's why when you go to places that have tip jars, like physical tip jars, yeah. they tend to seed it with money sure. to begin yeah, yeah, with. So it, yeah. it kind of yeah. encourages people to put stuff in there.
2: All right. Um, we do have a couple of follow-up items on this Believe, I Believe. Um, do we want to talk about any of these at all? Well, I've got the Microsoft Surface Book sold out. We talked about that last week. I did uh, not know that it sold out. Just... Yeah. Yeah, all all 30 of them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> apparently. Yeah, it does even
3: say in the article that, quote, Microsoft said it will have limited quantities of Surface Book available in store. On. Yeah, I, I'm
0: just going to assume that it's a, a fairly moderate success. Uh, I don't think it's a, a pitiful amount, like 100. I mean, that's Amazon Fire Phone
2: yeah. Level, yeah. <laughs> levels of uh, anemia, but... um well, economies of scale means that, like, says that you got to buy so many screens and so many chips and so many, you know, keyboards assembled. You can't just, you know, make 10, really. Like, that would be, then the price of the thing would be like $10,000, not, you know, 1400 Right. Well, and, and I think it's. If you're it's making 10 million dollars
3: a leader to get people interested, right, you're not going to make money That's off of those
2: 10. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying, though, is like, in order to be realistic, they probably, they, they probably made, you know, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions, you know, who knows?
0: Yeah, I, I think it'd be in the one hundred thousand to one million range. It's a very so, broad range, but it's not
2: multi million. So comparing Apple to oranges, do we actually know how many how many Apple Watches were made? Because it's sort of a similar kind of brand new product on the market.
0: It's also a competitive um, advantage to not give out the numbers too, right? Like they certainly give out pretty good numbers for for iPhone and, and iPad, um, but they told everybody well before the apple watch came out that we're not going to break out this specific number and that would make mm-hmm. sense because all the the third party stuff that's that's come out for analysis people trying to dig into the numbers they probably own something like 75 percent of the smartwatch market despite being super late to it and being double the price of near competitors
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and even
0: then they're deciding not to disclose how many they have out there you know as long as we've got mark here today um This one about Apple losing the patent lawsuit to University of Wisconsin.
3: Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah.
0: Do you have any more insight into that? Because all the reports on this that I've seen have just described this generic, and I've not read the patent, I I guess I could, but it described this, um, quote unquote, speculation circuit for parallel processing computer.
3: Yeah. I I don't really know too much about that, but um, you know, a lot of times these these patents are, are really general things. Uh, that are so broad that you know you almost can't uh, you can't help but but uh, trip into it um, it is pretty surprising that that uh, that that Wisconsin won actually I think because these things usually don't work out that way uh, mm-hmm. and the fact that it's almost a billion dollars of damages is, is pretty pretty significant
2: mm-hmm. indeed
0: yeah. and it it says here that this patent focuses on improving power efficiency and overall performance by utilizing data speculation, uh, also known as a branch predictor, which caught my eye because I could have sworn that was one of the things that Intel was touting with like Pentium 3, Pentium 4 days. Mm-hmm. They had these very, very long pipelines that if it, if it chose the right path, it would be super efficient. But they had all these prediction mechanisms to make that the most likely case because they're longer pipelines would suffer if they chose the wrong path to uh to take and that sounds very similar to this so i was, I was very not being well versed in the space wondering like what's the secret sauce here
3: yeah I, I don't know i actually haven't read the patent so i, I can't say <laughs> <laughs> you should have warned me you were going to ask me that question
0: i, mean... <laughs> yeah, I was just i saw i, I saw I it relatively yeah. recent i was like oh that's interesting <laughs>
3: Well, pat- patents are everywhere, and uh, at least in the you know in the in the chip and hardware type businesses, a lot of the big companies generate a lot of patents, and, and the real reason for that is not so much to go after people who are using your technology. It's it's really defensive. It's it's if, if IBM has has a thousand patents and and Intel has a thousand patents, then there's no way that either company is going to avoid violating one of those patents in, in some place. It's it's just gonna happen. Mm-hmm. So the idea is that well, knowing that the other guy is gonna violate my patent, we can use that as a defense for when we violate violate his patent. And and mm-hmm. it used to be that you know the big companies would just have this uh, gentleman's agreement really that that as long as there was nothing really egregious going on, everyone mm-hmm. would just use these these, you know, patent shields to protect themselves and no one would do anything. But, but it's true, a few years back, you know, the, 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 the patent trolls kind of figured out that they could kind of get around this and actually start uh, suing people for, for things um, without, you know, without recourse because they had nothing to, they weren't doing anything, they just owned a patent, right? They didn't, there, was, there was nothing that they were doing that could violate somebody else's, so if they own this patent, they can go after one of the big guys for violating their patent, and, mm-hmm. and yeah, it was, there's it was in the news a lot, uh, you know, maybe five, 10 years ago, whenever that was, it, it's true. That has seemed to die down. I, it's probably because the, the, uh, the courts probably haven't been too friendly on, on guys like that. That's my guess. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Right. I think a, a few losses have probably made it less of a, uh, great return on investment for these folks. Right. Like the, um, I don't remember who the patent troll is. They, they were always these very micro companies, but the uh podcasting patent that um was more or less defeated by um adam carolla and company and, and folks doing like a crowdfunding campaign to to fund the legal battle mm-hmm. he was one of the few folks to go out and take them like, course Like, know i'm gonna prove to you that this podcasting patent is is nonsense and it, and those folks backed away i don't think they actually completed the legal battle but i think mm-hmm. it was very clear to the the patent troll in this case that they um they probably were not going to make much money, and they might very well lose and make zero money.
2: All right. So, Jaime, what's this post about? Uh, don't let users see your spinners. About what's that one? Yeah, that one is. Um, it's a
0: it's a interesting take. So it talks about the whole. It talks about the design idea of even though you can't completely avoid all situations in which a user would see a spinner that is giving them an indication that, you know, content is coming over the network or content is being processed. Right. And in this article is more specifically talking about content coming over the network. Right. And it talks about the fact that it, it kind of ruins the magic in a Mm -hmm. way, right. Mm -hmm. From a user experience standpoint, to kind of just watch a little spinner there letting you know that, Oh yes, this, this did make it through Uh, the premise in this article by uh, uh, Kalo Paul, is that look it, nine times out of ten? That network request is going to be successful. So, what if we design around that premise and say, okay, look, you know, if you are liking a photo or you're adding an item to a watch list um, from like a product description page, or you're liking a photo, uh, as I mentioned, like for an Instagram, why not optimistically alter the UI? Sort of a little white lie in this case to say, look, oh, yes, user, there's now one more like on this photo or you know, yes, that item was in fact added to your watch list or saved to your, your shopping cart or something. Mm-hmm. And then only in the undesirable minority case, bring in the whoops, sorry, look, turns out we couldn't actually do that and do your normal error handling. Right. I think yeah. the premise there is that in, in the old like spinner way, you, you would have to have that error handling to begin with. Like you always have to have the error handling. Um, but the success or non-success and the transition between those was made very apparent to the users when there isn't necessarily a whole lot of value in giving that information to the user What does the user care that the network request was successful no they just want their like they want this item added to their shopping cart mm-hmm. and he breaks out a little bit of uh, a little bit of code here talk about um how you might separate those things out right he's using a optimistic model implementation where the model kind of knows how to handle its state and say okay well this photo currently has 10 likes on it so if they add another like 10 plus 1 is 11 I will give the presentation layer right so if you're separating things out like an MVC thing the presentation view will say oh yeah there's 11 likes on this behind the scenes the model is still trying to figure out okay Waiting for that network call to come back. yay yeah or nay? If it's yay, great. There's no further updates to make because the view is already up to date with what I would have it display, anyways. Mm-hmm. And if mm-hmm. it's nay, then we can say, okay, oops, yeah. hold, hold the phone. We we need to go let the user know that something bad happened.
3: Hmm. Yeah, I actually used to feel very strongly in agreement with this guy. I mean, really strongly, and and I and I did things uh, very similar to what he's what he's saying, basically. You know, in that case, you know, the the like you, the the question, the question is you have a you have a view that has a display of, of a value, and you have the model backing that thing, right? So, mm-hmm. so the the tricky part is that the traditional way is you kick off your network call, you wait for a success to come back, and then when you say yes, it's a success, then you update your model with the results of the success, and then you then your view gets updated.
1: Yeah, but, yeah. but
3: one thing that I've done in the past is and maybe I'm just sort of repeating what, what he was doing is you update your model right away assuming that it's going to be successful and the only, only when the failure comes back you know which call failed by definition so you know how to back out that result from your model right. right so so your model in the way I did it the model the number of likes model would would be 11 as soon as as soon as the user taps like Uh even though we don't know that the server knows about it yet, uh, and it's only it's only when I get a failure back that I say, "Oh wait a minute, reduce that, subtract one like from that from that model because that we have to back out that failure." And, and it, it worked pretty well. Uh, it you know it's sort of a pain to do all that because you got to keep track of a lot of different stuff, but but it is a nice experience. I got to say, it's a nice experience. Um, I, I don't always do that kind of stuff, and uh, to be honest, I don't, I don't do that as much as I used to for whatever reason. Um, (laughs) I tend to show more spinners now than I used to, I guess. Uh, But, uh, yeah, I I, I used to agree strongly, like I said. I like the idea.
2: Yeah, I I do too. I have a few apps that, uh, as you know, we... we, like if you're adding a comment to a photo for instance you know and you hit the send button it goes back we wait for it to come back from the server right. to say it's successfully saved rather than right. well we already know what the text is so we could just take that text text string and put it in as a placeholder until the server comes back and confirms that it's it's up to date you know when the sync is finished right so the so in that case the magic could happen well before the I'm looking at the diagram with the magic success and failure mm-hmm. The magic could happen and update the view even before the server and the and the data model even uh, are updated, right? So, yeah,
3: I don't I don't like the idea I don't like the idea of updating the view without the data model being updated. Well, that's
2: what I mean, I, I mean, like yeah. you, I'm talking about like in, what's in your hand as opposed to in my case going off to some server somewhere and some server right, farm, right? Right. right. Are yeah. oh, talking about the server mm-hmm. data model? Okay, yeah, gotcha.
3: gotcha,
2: yeah, gotcha. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think you're probably
0: spot on, Mark. So the the title of this blog post is well crafted because it draws a lot of attention like do not let your users see space <laughs> like as if like this is the one and only true way to do right. it
2: yeah
0: um and i think you know i, I so i brought up even a couple examples that i think are fairly typical for the you know if this goes wrong and your model is incorrect or the user somehow didn't notice the error handling case what's the impact and i think you know liking a photo um Adding an item to a watch list because you want to retrieve it later are relatively low impact items. If if you know that one like didn't go through, I'm probably not going to be too hurt as a user in most cases. If that item didn't get added to my watch list, well, there's probably ten other things I added that I was trying to pay attention to. I I think I'd be more bummed in the case of the watch list (laughs) because I'm probably trying to buy something, but it's not as big a deal as you know you go into things like hey. Um, was I able to deduct money from my banking account? Like I expect that to be synchronous and ye verily. And it only is telling me the truth and always the truth because it's, it's a huge effect, a huge negative effect to me if that thing is wrong. And I believe that I have 10 more dollars in my account than I actually have. So go forth with caution.
2: Yeah, but I mean, in the case of a like, for instance, if if the little heart that you tap on immediately updates and fills with the red, as a user you're going to be happier than having to, you know, uh, click on it and then wonder why it, you know, repeatedly mashing down on this thing until the server comes back and tells you it's it's updated. Right? Yeah. So.
3: And, and yeah. the alternate bad experience is that, you know, sometime later the the person hits the like, goes off and does something else, and sometime later. You know the, the timeout yeah. happens or whatever, right? The, the slow, the yeah. slow thing, and you have to turn that thing off again. Well, you know, chances are that the next time they they see that heart, they'll say, "Wait a minute! Didn't I like that? I thought I did." Well, okay, like again, boom. And, <laughs> and <laughs> they, they never even have to know that there's an issue. Yeah,
0: yeah. And and well, this technique is also predicated on the idea that you know the nine times out of ten or the ninety-nine times out of a hundred. Case is what you're going to see. Um, if you believe that your particular use case is going to involve users going in and out of lead line tunnels uh, or a spotty Wi Fi, mm-hmm. or your network services are not as good as Google's, and if mm-hmm. you have a really shoddy back end, um, I would not necessarily recommend this to you.
2: Be aware of your context. Interesting. All right, uh, what else we got? Uh, your UI isn't a Disney movie. That was new. Uh, it's, yeah, this is another
0: uh, one of my articles. <laughs> so this is uh, a UI design article by Sophie Paxton. Uh-huh. And the context for this article is um, maybe six months to a year ago, within the last you know, relatively recent history, a lot of folks were really jazzed about the um, Disney's Twelve Basic Principles of Animation, which is mm-hmm. uh, a very old book that, talk, that Disney's animators came up with to talk about like how they handle animation and the illusion of life. Right. And there's actually you know, I'll put this in the, have in the show notes, but I'll give it to you guys to have in the show notes. Really good website that talks that shows visually like what do they mean by these different principles and Mm -hmm. principles like squash and stretch, right? That like something moves, it's got kind of like a rubbery effect where it hits the ground, compresses and moves back up. Or perhaps one that's a little bit more, um, you know, day to day use for developers, the slow in and slow out, right? Like the the ease in ease out curve that you might have on an animation starts slowly, speeds up, gets to max speed, and then starts to slow down as it reaches its final position.
2: Yeah. I remember this when they were talking about UI dynamics a couple of years ago, right? Right. Uh,
0: yeah. and, and that's a real good context to, to come in to this article, which is talking about the fact that like, 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 not anti-motion design for UIs, right? And in fact, believes that they can be used to really enhance the understanding of how a UI works. But like all other things, like we just talked about with the optimistic network piece, you can overdo it or you could use it in the completely wrong context. And her title there of your UI isn't a Disney movie is quite true, right? You're not trying to necessarily surprise and delight people every single time. Mm -hmm. In fact, she gives a couple of uh, contrived examples that if you had a UI that did this, right, like you wanted to add a message and every little bit of UI flies in at different, um, you know, Time intervals and squashes and stretches and bounces like, oh, that looks cute and great once. It'd be mm-hmm. annoying as heck if you have to send out 10, 50, 100 messages during a day, right? <laughs> it's, not, it's not helping you with anything. It's just um, useless fluff and pizzazz. In contrast to some of the like, designs she shows later, like for notifications where showing you the little bit of animation draws your attention to this case that something bad has happened and here's what you should do to rectify it or uh, probably the best one I I like a lot that I think people are fairly used to now is the card expand where you have a list of items like in a table view Mm -hmm. and you want to see more context. You tap on the detail and it looks as if that cell has expanded to take over the screen. I think that gives you a nice bit of context for, you know, I have not just gone into some completely different mode. I'm actually just looking at detail and certainly the... 3D touch peak and pop make use of this kind of principle of show me a little bit more information in context and i can escape away from it and know exactly where i should be i'm not lost as to wait i hit a back button and where am i am i halfway down the list am i at the top of the list bottom of the list it's a good read i think uh, folks really need to consider these sorts of things because we do have all these fancy, cool tools like UIKit Dynamics <laughs> that can let you do all sorts of whiz-bang cool effects.
2: Yeah, but is it really necessary?
0: Yes. It's always, I think that's always the, the challenge, right? Like, choosing only what is necessary and no more, and and no less. It's a bummer when you
2: when you get it wrong. Either way. Yeah. Not enough, too much. Let's go around the table like we usually do and see if anybody has any picks. Uh, how many do you have any picks? I do, and...
0: Um, it's a game and I should come I should come forth and clean here that I I don't know the developer personally, but I am friends with um, the developers family and that's how it came to my mind via ah. originally via uh, Facebook, you know Facebook friends and uh, from talking to the developers family like in person. Mm. Uh, it's called colors, a modern strategy game by Birdhouse LLC. And we were talking about this during the the pre-show. Yeah. that uh, it's very similar to 2048, or 1024, or 3s, if you played those kind of games. Mm-hmm. I haven't played those games in a while, so I'm not exactly sure how close it is to those. But it's a fun little game where you are sliding blocks around, uh, in this case blocks of colors, and you are trying to reach the uh, pen, not the penultimate, the ultimate color. So they show a little... Color strip at the top where it starts at light blue, and then it gets to a darker blue. Oh right! Eventually yeah. goes to a green and a red. Hmm. You know, I find it, uh, and and this is some praise here. I find it a nice little time waster. Where if I'm standing in line at the grocery store, or I need to kill a little bit of time, yeah, yeah. Or I need to kill a little bit of time because oh, I got out of appointment early and I have you know ten minutes to go before the next appointment starts. It's really soothing to just pull it out (laughs) and start, like, trying to match all the colors that you can. Right. And it's the sort of thing that I sometimes do when I'm, you know, just listening to, well, listening to podcasts for one thing, right? I'm just Mm -hmm. like, oh, kind of need to do something. Uh, I can't just be sitting here and and laying back. Oh, yeah, I'll play this game, too, because I can do the visual aspect at the same time that I'm listening to the audio. I think one thing that I always find hard at least for myself to do with something like 2048 or threes is I kind of have to look at the numbers and read the numbers and understand the numbers. And that for me has taken away my ability to listen to what was going on on the radio or the podcast. Right, right. And this one's just pure visuals. So
2: it seems to not touch the same part of my brain as. Yeah. It's a left brain, right brain thing. Your, your yeah. right brain looks at color and your left brain looks thinks of numbers. It's interesting <laughs> though, language. because
3: it, the, the games with the numbers really have nothing to do with the numbers themselves. It's all of It's still all pattern matching. Just like the colors mm-hmm. are, so it's kind of it's it's interesting that that your brain interprets them differently. That's that's kind of cool.
2: Well, because I mean, when you're playing twenty forty eight, there's math involved, right? No, not really.
3: No, you still just try to match a you know match a two with a two, right? There's yeah. no real yeah. math. I mean, yeah, you have to know that two plus yeah, two. If is I put smaller, these two together, <laughs> so they become four. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. but that's no different than knowing that light blue plus light blue equals darker blue. Really, right. really, there's no difference. Right. But your brain, thinks yeah. It. I actually, I, I enjoyed the game too. Um, I, I used to play 2048 a lot, and and I found it's it's a very similar game, but it's not exactly the same. There's some subtle differences. Like in in 2048, the, the blocks drop if you if you clear one out, and they don't hear uh, so much. Um, so it's it's it, it, it's different. It's a little bit less uh, um, frenetic than 2048. You know what I mean? It's it's a little bit more. Mm-hmm. It's yep. a little more. You know. Um, pastoral as opposed to adrenaline, uh, 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 you know, pushing for, for me at least. So I, I kind of like it. I, I'll, I think I'll, I'll be playing it a little bit.
2: Yeah. It reminds Quite me, soon, I, I yeah. wonder, I wonder if I'd seen it featured on the app store before cause, uh, it, the name rings a bell.
3: Well, there was another app called color that was, was that? Yeah. yeah, that was a, uh, a uh, an old uh, social networking thing that was a massive failure a few years back. <laughs> huge <laughs> oh, huge yes, amounts yes. of huge amounts of VC funding, and it was a complete flop.
2: Really? Yeah, yeah. What What was it about?
3: The original The Church. original idea, if I remember correctly, was: say you're at a party, and yeah, and uh, you got a room full of people that you don't necessarily know. All these people, yeah. Uh, yeah, you could upload a picture, and there'd be sort of a gallery of everything that was happening at the party right there and then uh uh-huh. and if you if you went somewhere else then it would change because there was different different pictures for that location
2: okay um yeah it's kind of like you know getting a weather app and you could just stick your head out the window yeah well the, the context for this though so
0: as we've taken this brief uh side path here is i think color the app that mark is talking about came out during the time in which location-based services were yeah, right. the new hotness, That's right. That's right. Right? That's right? Highlight came out and Foursquare was still hot and mm-hmm. a few others that have since died. Anything that had to do with what can we do now that we have this sensor on a device <laughs> right. that lets us know where the user is?
3: Oh, let's just show stuff around you. We've got a camera and yeah. we've got a location
2: center. And let's put them together. Uh, just a, one final side note on the, on the Foursquare thing. Wasn't Foursquare an app where you could sort of see where your friends were on a map? Isn't that the original gist of it? Or am I thinking of something else?
0: I mean, it certainly had that aspect to it, right? You, you'd check in. It's like, oh, Bobby and Sally are at the donut shop. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty close. I can walk a block and say, hey, how's yeah. it going? Sort of yeah. thing.
2: Yeah, and it, it probably probably worked really well in San Francisco, but not so much here in Toronto, where like five people had phones. Is that what my point was back <laughs> then? Um, Mark, do you have any points or any trademark trade secrets or uh. handy, handy uh, new frameworks you've discovered or?
3: Not this week.
2: Best practices? Not this week.
3: <laughs> I've actually been playing with Swift a little bit this week, interestingly enough. And what
2: are you, so how are, how are you making well, it? Well, I'm Swift?
3: kind of playing with some of the functional programming concepts. Oh, cool. Yeah, oh. I'm actually reading that book, Functional Programming in Swift, which I kind of like. Um, even mm-hmm. though yeah, the syntax is a little bit out of date now because it was Swift 1, yeah. but you know, you can get by that. Um, it's it's pretty interesting. Um, I haven't done anything, I'm still not doing anything real with it because, you know, my. My regular main work is production work, and I can't really, um,
2: mm-hmm.
3: you know, play with Swift too much there. But uh, but it, it's kind of interesting. I, you know, it's it's uh, it's kind of grown on me a little bit more than it was before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. What one thing I, I do have to say that annoyed me about this book was when I scanned the table of contents, there was a an entry in the table of contents about core data models. So I was very excited to get to that point in the book. Yeah. And when mm-hmm. I finally got that, I realized that. That was just how they happened to capitalize core and data and models. It was core data models for something else that they're talking about. It has nothing oh, to do with core data. <laughs> but I do see now on their, on their website that uh, core data are on the finishing straights, it's saying, as part of a event, oh, Swift and core data. Well, I'm actually, now I don't know what they're talking about here. Mm-hmm. 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 Fool me once, shame on you. Well, I was gonna I was gonna read the book anyway, but yeah, well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm maybe halfway through it now. I can already give sort of preliminary stuff. It, I wouldn't call it a beginner book uh, if you if you don't have any grounding in functional programming or Swift, then I would stay. I would say don't go anywhere near this book. <laughs> um, it's mm-hmm. not entry level, and, and I would say uh, you could apply some of it to. UI kit stuff, but it, it doesn't exactly map on, no. Uh, it's more for your your, your core data model. <laughs> uh, forget mm-hmm. about the core. No, it is, it is more for data manipulation, I, in my opinion. Uh, this type of stuff is more applicable to that. Uh, you know, business logic and data data uh, manipulation than to GUI stuff. My impression is that functional programming doesn't work as well for GUI stuff, like I just said, as it does for other stuff. That's one part of it. But the other part of it, maybe even a bigger part of it, is that UIKit is is still you know Objective C under the hood, and it's it's based on a strong um, object oriented Objective C style of, of programming. So right now, a lot of the what you do in Swift to do UIKit stuff is just kind of use the the old Objective C style design patterns, but written in Swift, right? So I think there'll be a, a, a transition, which could be a very long transition, before uh, before a lot of UIKit or or or, uh, or you know whatever the successor libraries of UIKit are are kind of rewritten in a style that's a little bit more Swiftish. It could be it could be a long time before that change is over, right? Because yeah, UIKit's kit's pretty entrenched. I'm so curious how how Core Data is going to work, and that's one of the reasons I was excited when I saw it in the in the uh, table of contents. How core data is going to work with this whole value-oriented uh, uh, paradigm, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of instead of classes and objects, we are going to have to have structs. Yeah, so we'll see how that evolves over time, if it evolves over time. And and trying to uh, to take a a, 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 a a JSON dictionary and and parse what's inside because JSON because JSON dictionaries return a, in any object, right? As of, as a value. Yeah. You, find myself constantly casting uh to, to get to anything usable
2: all right well my pick is actually um uh, it's actually an app that i wanted to build myself I, I wrote a timekeeping app um for my own purposes actually for a company and then we took it for my own purposes about 12 to 13 years ago and i to this day still use it and it's a web-based app um um, I'm not saying that, you know, what it is is for, for people who need to keep track of their time, right? Um, and not not from the point of view of necessarily billing for your time, per se. I don't think that we should be really looking at that uh, business model. But from the point of view of knowing how long things take, um, it's good to have. So this app I've, I've been using for the last two weeks on my Mac, because it has a two-week trial version, is called Time, T-Y-M-E. And it's from a gentleman in, I believe, Europe. Named Lars Gherkins, and it's pretty colorful. A friend of mine recommended it to me, and it's very similar to the app that I wrote years ago. You can create, basically create projects, uh, project-based uh, time. So you can, and then you create tasks for each one of the projects that you want to work on. And basically, it's as simple as start and stop kind of uh, timing. Um, so you start like right now I'm recording a podcast. So I started the timer uh, an hour and 54 minutes ago. And, you know, when I'm done, it'll, you know, I'll hit the stop thing and it'll ask me for some sort of comment about what I was doing. But so, you know, so when I switch over to writing tutorials, I'll go into like a tutorial time thing, or if I'm working on on API for my servers, I'll, do, I'll record the time there. And what I do like about it, and it's similar to the app that I wrote, is that I can go in after the fact and just randomly put in time um, time events. So I can go back and say, well, like last Tuesday, I spent three hours doing such and such and so and so. And it's not super important for me, but I do actually have one client who um, requires reporting, not from for my purposes, but for their funding purposes. They need to report the number of hours that, that were spent on Particular aspects of the app app development, whether it was for design or or coding and that kind of stuff. So it's a really kind of interesting app. The cool thing about it too is that it uses iCloud, and so to sync and you can sync between your iOS devices and your. So I now have it on my iPhone, my iPad, and but I've been using it primarily on my Mac for the last week. And it breaks out. Uh, you can color code the different projects and different tasks, and then you know you get a. A bar chart that shows you you know, the time, amount of time you spent on things. And you can break out and do reporting on the individual, um, uh, individual projects. So if somebody says to you, well, how much time did you spend on so-and-so last week? Or if you're doing an estimate for a contract pro- uh, project that you want to take on, you can go back and historically look at your time and see how much time it spent you. You'd be surprised when you do keep track of, of how long things take, how long it actually does take to build stuff. And when I say to you that you know, an app like 2Life takes, you know, two and a half years because that's how long it took us to do it, you know, sort of thing. Cause I, and I can go back and break out, you know, how long it took us to go to from iOS 6 to iOS 7 or, you know, how how long it took us to put, it, put in collection views and that kind of stuff because I can actually go in and break out that time. Not that I necessarily want to do that, but the fact that I can do that makes it easier for me going forward to estimate jobs and, you know, and some customers, like I said, I do build some customers based on t- on the time spent helping them or coding for them or what have you. So anyway, it's time and it's cool. And it and it essentially Sherlocked one of the apps that I was gonna make. <laughs> Cause it, it does it pretty much it's it's how I would build it. It's you know, the fact that it it's not I'm not locked into in the model of having to time start timers. And if I forget to start a timer too, I can I can go, okay, well I forgot to start this timer and I started about ten minutes ago. So I can go back and reset the start time ten minutes ago. Or if I, you know, pick up the phone and go to go to the kitchen, make a coffee, and come back and realize, oh, I left the timer running, I can go back and I can roll the clock back to stop time, you know, 15 minutes ago or 20 minutes ago. So it's kind of flexible in that sense. So you can actually manually go and put your time in or you can just, you know, use it, uh, the clock model, which seems to work pretty well, right? And now I can keep track of, like, when I'm doing administrative duties for my company, you know, invoicing or accounts payable or whatever, I can sort of break those things out. And with project-based uh, work, I can sort of set like a minimum, say 15 minute increment. So, if, if I roll over into the next 15 minutes, it'll automatically round it up if that's the kind of um, timing I want to keep track of, right? So, alrighty, so I guess that's it for the week, and we'll once again say goodbye. And so, Aaron, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where would they look? Go to the usual spot, Twitter.com/slash/AaronVay. And hi, May. If people want to find you on the interwebs, where would they look? On Twitter as at Dev of the Hair. And Mark, if people want to find you on the interwebs, we'll have
3: SnapSoft.com.
2: And once again, my name is Tim Mitra. T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A where so you'll find me on Twitter or on my website, it-guy.com. And I guess we'll see you guys next week. Okay? Bye. 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 If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There, you can find the summary and show notes of each episode we list links to the items we talked about on the show, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website, and if you can, please write a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press that recommend button. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow us on Twitter. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at mtjc underscore podcast. And if you'd like to support us, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc.